Chapter twenty eight of seventeen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jonathan Burchard, August two thousand nine. Seventeen by Booth Tarkington. Chapter twenty eight. Ranny Kirsted. Observing the monotonously proper behavior of the sun, man had an absurd idea and invented time. Becoming still more absurd, man said, So much shall be a day, such and such shall be a week. All weeks shall be the same length. Yet every baby knows better. How long for Johnny Watson, for Joe Bullitt, for Wallace Banks? How long for William Sylvanus Baxter was the last week of Miss Pratt? No one can answer. How long was that week for Mr. Parcher? Again, the mind is staggered. Many people, of course, considered it to be a week of average size. Among these was Jane. Throughout seven days which brought some tense moments to the Baxter household, Jane remained calm, and she was still calm upon the eighth morning as she stood in the front yard of her own place of residence, gazing steadily across the street. The object of her grave attention was an ample brick house, newly painted white after repairs and enlargements so inspiring to Jane's faculty for suggesting better ways of doing things that the workmen had learned to address her, with a slight bitterness, as Madam President. Throughout the process of repair, and until the very last of the painting, Jane had considered this house to be as much her property as anybody's, for children regard as ownerless all vacant houses and all houses in course of construction or radical alteration. Nothing short of furniture, intimate furniture in considerable quantity, hints that the public is not expected. However, such a hint, or warning, was conveyed to Jane this morning, for two express wagons were standing at the curb with their backs impolitely toward the brick house, and powerful-voiced men went surging to and fro under fat armchairs, mahogany tables, disarticulated bedsteads, and baskets of china and glassware, while a harassed lady appeared in the outer doorway from time to time with gestures of lamentation and entreaty. Upon the sidewalk, between the wagons and the gate, was a broad, wet spot, vaguely circular, with a partial circumference of broken glass and extinct goldfish. Jane was forced to conclude that the brick house did belong to somebody after all. Wherefore, she remained in her own yard, a steadfast spectator, taking nourishment into her system at regular intervals. This was beautifully automatic. In each hand she held a slice of bread, freely plastered over with butter, applesauce, and powdered sugar, and when she had taken somewhat from the right hand, that hand slowly descended with its burden, while simultaneously the left began to rise, reaching the level of her mouth precisely at the moment when a little wave passed down her neck, indicating that the route was clear. Then, having made delivery, the left hand sank, while the right hand began to rise again. And so well had custom trained Jane's members, never once did she glance toward either of these faithful hands or the food that it supported. Her gaze was all the while free to remain upon the house across the way and the great doings before it. After a while, something made her wide eyes grow wider almost to their utmost. Nay, the event was of that importance her mechanical hands ceased to move and stopped stock still, the right halfway up, the left halfway down as if because of sudden motor trouble within Jane. Her mouth was equally affected, remaining open at a visible crisis in the performance of its duty. These were the tokens of her agitation upon beholding the removal of a doll's house from one of the wagons. This doll's house was at least five feet high, of proportionate breadth, 
and depths the customary absence of a facade disclosing an interior of four luxurious floors with stairways fireplaces and wallpaper here was a mansion wherein doll duchesses no less must dwell straightway a little girl ran out of the open doorway of the brick house and with a self-importance concentrated to the point of shrewishness began to give orders concerning the disposal of her personal property which included as she made clear not only the doll's mansion but also three doll's trunks and a packing case of fair size she was a thin little girl perhaps half a year younger than jane and she was as soiled particularly in respect to hands brow and chin and the knees of white stockings as could be expected of any busybodyish person of nine or ten whose mother is house-moving but she was gifted if we choose to put the matter in the hopeful sweeter way she was gifted with an unusually loud and shrill voice and she made herself heard over the strong-voiced men to such emphatic effect that one of the latter with the doll's mansion upon his back paused in the gateway to acquaint her with his opinion of that of all the bossy little girls he had ever seen heard her, or heard of she was the bossiest the worst he added the little girl across the street was of course instantly aware of jane though she pretended not to be and from the first her self-importance was in large part assumed for the benefit of the observer after a momentary silence due to her failure to think of any proper response to the workman who so pointedly criticized her she resumed the peremptory direction of her affairs she ran in and out of the house her dark brow with frowns her shoulders elevated and by every means at her disposal she urged her audience to behold the frightful responsibilities of one who must keep a thousand things in her head at once and yet be ready for decisive action at any instant there may have been one weakness in this strong performance the artistic sincerity of it was a little discredited by the increasing frequency with which the artist took note of her effect during each of her most impressive moments she flashed from the corner of her eye two questions at jane how about that one are you still watching me then apparently in the very midst of her cares she suddenly and without warning ceased to boss walked out into the street halted and stared frankly at jane jane had begun her automatic feeding again she continued it meanwhile seriously returning the stare of the new neighbor for several minutes this mutual calm an inoffensive gaze was protracted then jane after swallowing the last morsel of her supplies turned her head away and looked at a tree the little girl into whose eyes some wistfulness had crept also turned her head and looked at a tree after a while she advanced to the curb on jane's side of the street and swinging her right foot allowed it to kick the curbstone repeatedly jane came out to the sidewalk and began to kick one of the fence pickets you see that old fatty asked the little girl pointing to one of the workmen thus sufficiently identified yes that's the one broke the goldfish said the little girl there was a pause during which she continued to scuff the curbstone with her shoe jane likewise scuffing the fence picket i'm going to have papa get him arrested added the stranger my papa got two men arrested once jane said calmly two or three the little girl's eyes wandering upward took note of jane's papa's house and of a fierce young gentleman framed in an open window upstairs he was seated wore ink upon his forehead and tapped his teeth with a red penholder who is that she asked it's willie is it your papa no jane exclaimed 
It's Willie! Oh, said the little girl, apparently satisfied. Each now scuffed less energetically with her shoe. Feet slowed down, so did conversation, and, for a time, Jane and the stranger wrapped themselves in stillness, though there may have been some silent communing between them. Then the new neighbor placed her feet far apart and leaned backward upon nothing, curving her front outward and her remarkably flexible spine inward until a profile view of her was grandly semicircular. Jane watched her attentively, but without comment. However, no one could have doubted that the process of acquaintance was progressing favorably. Let's go in our yard, said Jane. The little girl straightened herself with a slight gasp and accepted the invitation. Side by side, the two passed through the open gate, walked gravely forth upon the lawn, and halted as by common consent. Jane thereupon placed her feet wide apart and leaned backward upon nothing, attempting the feat in contortion just performed by the stranger. Look, she said, look at me! But she lacked the other's genius, lost her balance, and fell. Born persistent, she immediately got to her feet and made fresh efforts. No, look at me, the little girl cried, becoming semicircular again. This is the way. I call it putting your stomach out of joint. You haven't got yours out far enough. Yes, I have, said Jane, gasping. Well, to do it right, you must walk that way. As soon as you get your stomach out of joint, you must begin and walk. Look, like this. And the little girl, having achieved a state of such convexity that her braided hair almost touched the ground behind her, walked successfully in that singular attitude. I'm walking, Jane protested, her face not quite upside down. Look, I'm walking that way, too. My stomach. There came an outraged shout from above, and a fierce countenance stained with ink protruded from the window. Jane! What? Stop that. Stop putting your stomach out in front of you like that. It's disgraceful. Both young ladies, looking rather oppressed, resumed the perpendicular. Why doesn't he like it? The stranger asked in a tone of pure wonder. I don't know, said Jane. He doesn't like much of anything. He's seventeen years old. After that, the two stared moodily at the ground for a little while, chastened by the severe presence above. Then Jane brightened. I know, she exclaimed cozily. Let's play callers. Right here by the bush will be my house. You can come to call on us, and we'll talk about our children. You'll be Mrs. Smith, and I'm Mrs. Jones. And in the character of a hospitable matron, she advanced graciously toward the new neighbor. Why, my dear Mrs. Smith, come right in. I thought you'd call this morning. I want to tell you about my lovely little daughter. She's only ten years old, and says the brightest things. You really must. But here, Jane interrupted herself abruptly, and hopping behind the residential bush, peeped over it, not at Mrs. Smith, but at a boy of ten or eleven who was passing along the sidewalk. Her expression was gravely interested, somewhat complacent, and Mrs. Smith was not so lacking in perception that she failed to understand how completely, for the time being at least, calling was suspended. The boy whistled briskly, my country tis of thee, and though his knowledge of the air failed him when he finished the second line, he was not disheartened but began at the beginning again, continuing repeatedly after this fashion to offset monotony by patriotism. He whistled loudly. He walked with ostentatious intent to be at some heavy affair in the distance. His ears were red. He looked neither to the right nor to the left. 
That is, he looked neither to the right nor to the left until he had passed the Baxter's fence. But when he had gone as far as the upper corner of the fence beyond, he turned his head and looked back, without any expression, except that of a whistler, at Jane. And thus, still whistling, My Country Tis of Thee, and with blank pink face over his shoulder, he proceeded until he was out of sight. Who was that boy? the new neighbor then inquired. It's Freddy, said Jane placidly. He's in our Sunday school. He's in love of me. Jane! Again, the outraged and ink-stained countenance glared down from the window. What you want? Jane asked. What you mean talking about such things? William demanded. In all my life I never heard anything as disgusting. Shame on you! The little girl from across the street looked upward thoughtfully. He's mad, she remarked, and regardless of Jane's previous information, it is your papa, isn't it? she insisted. No, said Jane testily. I told you five times it's my brother Willie. Oh, said the little girl, and grasping the fact that William's position was, in dignity and authority, negligible compared with that which she had persisted in imagining, she felt it safe to tint her upward gaze with disfavor. He acts kind of crazy, she murmured. He's in love of Miss Pratt, said Jane. She's going away today. She said she'd go before, but today she is. Mr. Parcher, where she visits, he's almost dead, she stayed so long. She's awful, I think. William, to whom all was audible, shouted hoarsely, I'll see to you, and disappeared from the window. Will he come down here? the little girl asked, taking a step toward the gate. No, he's just gone to call Mama. All she'll do will be to tell us to go play somewhere else. Then we can go talk to Genesis. Who? Genesis. He's putting a load of coal in the cellar window with a shovel. He's nice. What's he put coal in the window for? He's a colored man, said Jane. Shall we go talk to him now? No, said Jane thoughtfully. Let's be playing callers when Mama comes to tell us to go away. What was your name? Ranny. No, it wasn't. It is too, Ranny, the little girl insisted. My whole name's Mary Randolph Kirsted, but my short name's Ranny. Jane laughed. What a funny name, she said. I didn't mean your real name. I meant your caller's name. One of us was Mrs. Jones, and one was... I want to be Mrs. Jones, said Ranny. Oh, my dear Mrs. Jones, Jane began at once. I want to tell you about my lovely children. I have two, one only seven years old, and the other... Jane, called Mrs. Baxter from William's window. Yes'm. You must go somewhere else to play. Willie's trying to work at his studies up here, and he says you've disturbed him very much. Yes'm. The obedient Jane and her friend turned to go, and as they went, Miss Mary Randolph Kirsted allowed her uplifted eyes to linger with increased disfavor upon William, who appeared beside Mrs. Baxter at the window. I tell you what let's do, Granny suggested in a lowered voice. He got so fresh with us, and made your mother come and all. Let's, let's, she hesitated. Let's what? Jane urged her, in an eager whisper. Let's think up something he won't like, and do it. They disappeared round a corner of the house, their heads close together. End of chapter 28